Welcome to the Mission City Church Podcast. My name is Jake Eichert, and I am the Community Groups and Creative Director at Mission City Church, as well as the host of this podcast. Each week, you can find full-length sermons, five-minute sermon breakdowns, and inspiring conversations with guests about discipleship, current events, local outreach, and more. Our mission as a church is to make Jesus known, and we pray that this podcast does just that for you. If it does, please subscribe and share. But for now, please enjoy this episode of the Mission City Church Podcast. Well, good morning. It's good to be back with you. Uh, good to be back together. Uh, we, as Megan said, we're starting a new series it's, uh, titled In the Image. Uh, there's a big debate in my household about whether or not we should, put, we should leave the hands in this image or not. So if you have an opinion on that, if you are weirded out by those hands just kind of being there, feel free to let me know afterward. Uh, we can take a poll of whether I was right or Sarah was right. It's, it doesn't matter. It's not a, not a competition or anything, but... Um, Anyway, uh, so if, you, if, the, if this graphic doesn't give it away, the series is going to be talking about how we are made in the image of God. Now, uh, there's going to be uh, some opportunities here early on in the message for some uh, question and response. So I know that makes some people a little uncomfortable. I'm just trying to prep you for that. Uh, I would really appreciate any feedback that you would be giving during uh, those questions. So I'll get us started out with just a, kind of a warm-up here. Uh, when you think of the gospel, what is the first, like, if you were going to share the gospel or you're considering, you know, just like, the, what's the good news? Like, what is the first step in that? Or what's the first part of that maybe uh, news that you would tell somebody about? What's the first thing that comes to mind? Jesus loves you? Okay. What else? Is that it? Just Jesus loves you? That's, that's the start? That's the whole thing? Moving on? What about, uh, I, I don't know about, okay, so I don't know about you, but in my tradition growing up, it typically started with you're a sinner, and then Jesus loves you, but usually I was told first that you're a sinner. Now, I don't know what your background looks like or how that was received for you or if you kind of share that experience at all. Uh, but what that did, for me at least, was it began to create a narrative in my mind that I am naturally bad. And in some ways, that's part of some of the uh, systematic teachings of certain churches, that that's kind of the idea. And now, I want to be very clear here that you know, we are sinners in need of a Savior. That's, that's truth. That's straight from Scripture. I, I don't want to deny that in any way. But what is interesting about that idea that the gospel or the, this good news or just the idea of being in church or being a follower of Jesus starts with you're a sinner is that that's not where the Bible starts with talking about humanity, and what the Bible starts with is this, in Genesis 1, 26. So he says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So the question that I would like us to explore throughout this series is, what does it mean that I am made in the image of God? If God said, Let us make man, if man is going to be made in our image, in our likeness, what does that mean for us? What does that mean that we are made in the image of God? And so that's what we're going to be doing for the next three weeks. And this week we're specifically starting with, what's an image? What does that even mean? Because when we think of image, we think of pictures, right? Or we think of even if you're maybe more artistic, you might be like, no, an image can be anything. Image can be sculptures, and uh, I'm not artistic at all, so my list is going to run out pretty quickly here. Um, paintings, photographs, that's it. Okay, moving on. So what is an image when we look at what the Bible talks about being an image? And so that's kind of what we're unpacking today. And I want to make this point first, is that images are made with care for a purpose. 
Images are made with care for a purpose. And this isn't just biblical. This is what we see in society today, right? So uh, some famous images, some famous sculptures, some famous things that are made with care for a purpose. Number one is uh, this picture here. You want to shout out what that is? Everybody know? We're on the same page? Statue of Liberty, right. What's the first thing that comes to mind when you see the Statue of Liberty? Freedom. Yes, that's what came to mind for me as well. Anybody have something different? You just want to be bold and... Immigration. What? New York, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I actually, funny thing about that, this is a total tangent, but when I picked this picture, I was like, is that where it really is? See, with the city in the background and everything? I'm sure, I mean, I don't know if you can doctor that up or whatever, but that was the first thought that I came to mind. Anyway, yes, when we see all of these things come to mind, when we see the Statue of Liberty, there's a message that it represents, right? The idea uh, that it has meaning to it, that it has a purpose that it was put there for. It brings thoughts into our mind when we see it. In fact, when it was first created, uh, so it was put together to celebrate this, uh, this relationship between France and the United States, that we would be partners, that we would uh, have a good working relationship together after the United States, then uh, after we had, uh, sorry, revelation, revolutionary, uh, bleh, we had removed ourselves from being united with England. That's the way it's coming to mind. There's a much better way to say that, but that's what I've got for you this morning. You know what I mean? So they are trying, so 100 years later, they come up with this partnership and they say, hey, we want to honor this relationship. We want to celebrate this with you. We want to commemorate. So we're going to build this massive statue and put this together. And so a few facts about this. In uh, 1865, there was a Frenchman. I'm going to butcher his name, so I'll just, uh, it's, it's Edward, but it's not spelled like how we would typically spell Edward. Um, and so he proposed this idea of presenting this monumental gift from the people of France to the United States. And he's a supporter of America. And there's a number of different ways that this uh, celebrates that. Uh, there's significance to the, the lighthouse and the crowns and even some shackles that are breaking around the feet of, uh, of the statue because there's also some symbolism for the emancipation of slaves and uh, giving equal rights to uh, all people in the United States. And so uh, there's all this uh, symbolism that went with it. There's care put into it. They uh, designed all of it with specific uh, purpose in mind. Now, construction started in 1875 uh, because it was supposed to celebrate the 100 years uh, that America had become a, a country. Uh, but the statue wasn't even assembled until 1886, so 11 years, essentially, uh, roughly, that it took to put this together after uh, construction had begun. It, takes thir it took 31 tons of copper to surround the outside, uh, even though it's like a penny thick or half a penny thick or something. Uh, it took 54 million pounds of concrete to pour the foundation. The framework inside is made of uh, steel and iron. It's 250,000 pounds, and it has now stood for over 130 years with some slight modifications along the way. It took extreme care to build this, and it was built for a great purpose. Another one that we uh, see in uh, society is a, a, a famous image that's been created is this one. Anybody know what the name of this is? The Thinker, the thinker right? Uh, does anybody know what the original name of it was supposed to be? Ah, stumped you on that one. It's, uh, it was originally thought to be called The Poet. 
uh, because this, the statue was created uh, as a commissioning. There was this museum that was being built, and they commissioned the artist to uh, put together this sculpture that would look over the doors of the museum. And the idea was that it was kind of a play on Dante's Inferno, or the divine comedy, in which the, the man would be looking down on all of this torment and demons and everything happening in the, the different layers of hell. And so he was uh, just considering his life and the afterlife and all these different things. But today, we walk by this and we, we think. We see it, we automatically think of contemplation, and uh, it took a lot of effort and care to build this one as well. Uh, it says that, uh, so found out through um, the Encyclopedia Br- Britannica uh, that it was, uh, took roughly four years, even though the statue, the original statue was only two feet tall, it took roughly four years from the time the project was commissioned to completion. And that was just part of what the ultimate design was intended uh, to be. One more here I want to show you. Uh, this is a picture out of uh, the creation of Adam. And this is a painting uh, that was, uh, it was initially designed or initially um, commissioned to be uh, about 12 apostles that were holding up in uh, the, the chapel or the, the roof of the building. And yet uh, the painter had a different thing in mind. It took 16 days to complete. It's over 500 square meters long with over 300 figures and the entire ceiling took four years to paint. And the, the whole idea is to share the creation story, it's to share different stories of the Bible and through images along this entire ceiling. Now, uh, all of these are shown to you because they bring thoughts and ideas. We know purpose and care were put into them. And this is uh, the two main things that came to my mind as I uh, thought through what do these pictures mean. Number one is that these images took extreme care and had incredible purpose. Number two is that they are nothing compared to the images that God makes. Now I want you to consider that for a second. Because I wonder how often we have looked at beautiful works of art, beautiful sculptures, paintings, whatever it may be, and admired it. And gone, that's, that's incredible. I can, I can appreciate the work and the effort that was put in. Years were put into creating this. It's beautiful. It has great purpose and care. But when we look in the mirror, we have different thoughts. Do we appreciate the care and the purpose that was given to us as images of God? We have a divine creator who put far better images together than what we create here on earth, and yet we spend a lot of time appreciating those images. And sometimes we struggle to appreciate the images that God has made. And I want to encourage us this morning uh, in this idea of like what is an image is that God has actually put together uh, some really awesome creations there's some really awesome creations in this room. And uh, like as an image of God, that means a lot. Like that carries a lot of weight. You were made with a ton of care for an incredible purpose. And we'll talk about that a little more as we go here. I want to uh, transition a little bit to talk about what the Bible talks about when we, uh, with, with God creating us with care. Psalm 139 says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that he uh, has a process of creating us. He compares it to knitting, and like the, if you've ever knitted something, I have not, but I've seen someone knit, and it looks like a very intricate and time-consuming process, and it needs detailed work to complete and takes uh, incredible care. 
Psalm 8, 4 through 8 says this. It says, What is a man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. So we are God's masterpieces and he has placed all of this under our rule and reign and dominion. He's created uh, some amazing things here on earth that outside of just humanity, we read in the creation era prior to him creating humans about all the things that he did and created and the, the beasts and the birds and everything that it mentions here. And yet he has given it over to us in order to manage and make the best of. That's an incredible purpose. If you think about uh, maybe the greatest thing that you've ever created, Again, I'm no artist or anything, so there's not a whole lot that falls under that category for me, but let me just run through a list of things you can consider for yourself, uh, maybe what the greatest thing you've ever created, whether it be a work of art, maybe you've built a house or a home, maybe there's a business that you've created, your greatest achievement, maybe it's just your family, your kids, whatever it may be, what is the greatest achievement or thing that you have built in your life? And now think about handing it over to someone else to manage and take care of takes incredible responsibility, trust to be able to do something like that. I can't imagine uh, turning over uh, my family to someone else to manage and take care of. And yet God sees his people and the, the works of his hands and he turns over his creation to us as his image bearers to represent him in this world. I mentioned earlier that, uh, at least for me, grew up hearing, you know, the gospel starts with you are a sinner. And uh, I heard this on a podcast that I thought was really interesting, like get saved and behaved. Anybody ever heard that before? This is a nice little snappy uh, saved and behaved, you know? That's, that's the way to life. It's not. Um, but this is the idea that in some, in some uh, traditions we grew up with, get saved and behaved, hopefully he lets you into heaven at the end. Uh, you, have, you have sinned, you need a savior, but I would encourage us that the story of humanity starts with you were made in the image of God and that creates, div- that creates incredible care and a divine purpose for you to live your life with. Now, we know this is what God says about his creation, but what does it say about him that he would create us? And this is the second point that I have for us today is that images say something about their creator. Images say something about their creator. Uh, I'm curious, has anybody in here ever read the book, The Portrait of Dorian Gray? Yes. Okay, great. I was hoping somebody would have. Uh, sorry to call you out like that. I shouldn't have pointed. Um, but no, uh, it's, an, it's, a, it's an amazing book. It parallels in this fictional telling kind of the story of being made in the image of something. There's uh, this man who uh, is, he's a young man in England, and he has a painting done of him. Uh, and he's supposed to be like the most uh, beautiful uh, young man in all of wherever they are. And essentially, he is convinced by this older gentleman that uh, beauty, uh, Beauty and youth, just combining those, uh, beauty and youth are the most important things in life. And he, he wishes that this image of him, this portrait that's been created, would age and, and he would not. Essentially that he would hang on to his beauty and youth forever and that the portrait instead would begin to age. Now, as the story unfolds, we see that he begins to, uh, as, he, as he sins, his life goes in different directions, he does some 
evil, wicked things, the portrait begins to change. It begins to look like instead of this smile, this beautiful, uh, this glowing kind of face that he has, it begins to, his lips begin to curl down. It begins to frown. It begins to, you see him start to kind of shift in his appearance in the photo, and he realizes that he may not be getting uh, like ugly or aging on the outside as he's trying to preserve this beauty and youth that he has, but the portrait is a picture of his soul that is decaying and growing uh, just yeah, it's, it's uh, dying, essentially. And uh, what we s- there's this quote in the beginning of the book uh, by the person who paints the picture. He's having a conversation with someone, and they're talking about how great this picture is and how wonderful Javi did painting it and how he should display it somewhere. And he says this. He, he, he refuses to do that because he says, every portrait that is painted with feeling is a portrait of the artist, not of the sitter or the, the person that they're painting. The sitter is merely the accident, the occasion. It is not he who is revealed by the painter. It is rather the painter who on the colored canvas reveals himself. In other words, as the painter paints something, he is revealing something about himself through his work. If you are artistic in any way, you probably can relate to this somehow. Uh, when you play music, when you paint, when you sculpt, whatever, you are revealing something of yourself in your art, in your work. When God created images of himself, he revealed himself by creating those images. God wants to reveal himself to the world through us. Now, images in and of themselves are made in service of their creator. And we see this even in the images that were made that were not intended for, or not created by God in, uh, in Scripture. So quick Bible study of some other images that were named in the Scripture. So first, the image of God obviously is uh, what we we're starting with here. It's to rule and reign on God's behalf. As God's images, we've been given some of his power and authority. But because of sin, we begin to twist that power and authority to do things for our own benefit instead of for the glory of God as it was intended. So the first one we see, um, or one of the first ones at least, is we humans created this image of, of Baal, or it's a, a golden calf. And now, I want to quickly pause here because that might sound ridiculous if you are ever like, um, yeah, I've never worshipped like a big cow before, uh, even though... There's some great steakhouses that have a big cow right out front. Um, but, you know, I'd never, it's never crossed my mind to create a, a golden cow and bow down to it, right? Um, and so why would someone do that? Well, I, I just want to quickly run through, if you are living in, let's put ourselves in the place of some of these ancient Israelites. So you are living in a, in a society, in a culture that's entirely dependent on agriculture. Your food, your resources, even your finances, your wealth is mostly determined by your livestock, the, cr- the crops that you grow, all that. Now, if you were to say, let's just hypothetically here, um, you're having a really bad year. No rain, or it's been very uh, windy, or whatever, and it's, it's damaged your crops. You've got a few animals that have gotten sick. Um, just things are not looking good for you. But your cousin, who lives in a couple towns over, has, their society has taken on this idea of, hey, let's, let's like worship the cows. If we worship the cows, then they, like maybe they'll be, you know, like they will return that back to us. And he starts to do that. And you know, his cow that got sick, it actually started to get healthy. It got better. And so now you fearing for, hey, if we don't turn this thing around, if our cows don't get healthier, if our crops don't survive the winter, like I don't know what our family's going to do. And you've heard that your cousin has had this success uh, 
worshiping his cow. And even though that sounds ridiculous, you know, you're kind of desperate looking for any opportunity to, to make sure that your family survives. And so you begin to do the same. And that spreads itself. Maybe that year you even have some success. And so you think, oh, well, actually, it's working. I should continue to do this practice. And it might sound ridiculous, but when you put yourself into those shoes, it, it might make sense a little bit. Here's the problem. As I mentioned before, we have received some of God's power and authority, but we twist it. And this is the twist on that, is that we are looking for blessing or to bless ourselves when God said from the beginning that he would be a blessing to us, that he wanted to be the one that blessed us and that we should be a blessing to the world uh, as his uh, image bearers. We also find there's an image that uh, Nebuchadnezzar makes for himself. Uh, this is found in Daniel and he builds this entire, this huge statue for himself. It's gold-plated, and there's all this amazing, you know, artwork and everything in it. And, like, so many times a day, they're going to blow these horns and trumpets and everything, and everybody in the city is supposed to bow down and worship this statue of the king. Now, what the twist is here is that God has asked for praise and adoration and respect and honor and glory, and yet man has decided to make this image to give themselves praise and honor and worship and adoration. So the key difference between what God's images are and what our images are is that God blesses his images while we expect blessing from ours. And it's a twist on how God intended it to be, is that we were supposed to be these images that reflect him into the world. Instead, we created our own images to try to glorify ourselves. Little, little Bible trivia history of humanity and images there. Now, uh, there's an interesting thing that God points out here in Jeremiah chapter 10. He says, uh, this this." Fair warning, this is going to sound really harsh at the beginning. I was a little taken aback. Uh, every man is stupid and without knowledge. I'll wake you up. Uh, every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols, for his images are false and there is no breath in them. Now, uh, we're going to kind of semi-ignore that beginning part and just talk about this last line, that there is no breath in them. In other words, the real images, true images, the right, correct images that God creates are the only living images. Now, that means something because it means that we don't just represent God by our physical appearance or don't just stand as a statue in one place or people don't just look at us and immediately know what we're supposed to be uh, as images, but that we are a living representation of God, that our lives as a whole are meant to reflect God as an image into the world. Again, I'll remind you of this important point. God wants to reveal himself to the world through us. God wants to reveal himself to the world through us. Now, uh, final kind of topic that I want to address today. So, if this is true, if we are created with care and for a purpose and God wants to reveal himself and all that, great. The point, though, is that if we believe this, if we believe that we are made in the image of God, then it has to impact how we live and how we treat people. It has to. Because we are made with care and for this divine purpose and we believe these things. We believe what scripture says. We believe we're followers of Jesus and that he is this, actually as we'll talk about as the series goes on, this perfect image of God. He lived this out fully. Then being images of God has to impact how we live and how we treat people. Because the way we live needs to reflect God's image into the world and the way we treat people needs to be how God would treat people. If we are these images... I'll read for you a passage here in 2 Corinthians. should be on the uh, slide as well. Starting in chapter 3. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. 
Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So based off this passage and the idea of being made in the image of God, how should we live? We should renounce disgraceful, underhanded ways, refuse to practice deceit or the changing of God's word and live in a way that reveals God to the world. This is our gospel. This is our good news to be these living images. We are lights in the darkness of the world. Next week, we'll talk more about what that looks like, by the way. Now, how should we treat people? We should treat them like Jesus did. If he is this image and we are being transformed from one degree to another to be like him, then we should be striving to treat people like he did. And we'll talk about that in week three. I want to conclude, give a conclusion, kind of wrap this up, and I'll invite the band to come up as we spend the last uh, few minutes here. So all of this is, could be overwhelming. I understand we've kind of, and a lot of scripture jumping around to different places, images, I get it. So quickly recap kind of where we've been so far. Images are made with care and for a purpose, and, as you, and you as God's images have been made with the most care and for the greatest purpose. Images say something about their creator, and we were created to reveal God to the world. And this truth has to impact how we live and how we treat people, namely that we do it like Jesus did. Now, the reason why um, I think it's important that we start here, one, I think because where the series is going, it's important that we understand what an image is and how we are images of God and the importance that that has. But if we think about this, just mo- let's just make it more practical, right? So if I'm this image of God, if I have this great purpose, as uh, I've said this morning, or if I have been crafted with care, and uh, what does that mean for the way I lived, or I, uh, the way I lived? So See, God sees this incredible value that he has placed on us. When he turned over his creation to us, he was giving us a great responsibility, but it was with great trust that he did so. Now, you could argue if we've done a good job with that or not, but the idea is that God trusted us with a great responsibility. He had great value in us. Also, that we are not accidents, and we are not just a part of a grander, like, hey, I'm just a part of humanity. I'm just a, a small cog in the wheel. But that you individually have purpose and that you have great care in your creation. When we look in the mirror, you're seeing an image that's far greater, been created with far more care, and has a much greater purpose than any other image or picture or whatever you can see in this world. God has created you with care for a great purpose. 
But that doesn't just stop there, and it doesn't just mean that when we uh, share the good news or when we come to church or when we're doing church activities that that's when we're kind of being this image bearer. That's not the case. See, what reality is is that God handed us his creation to care for and bring the best out of this world. And so it's not just church activities, but when you go to your job, whatever you do, whether you are uh, serving, whether you are... uh, uh, my mind's just going blank now. I'm sorry. Uh, when you, <laughs> I'll just read my notes. That's probably the best way to do it. But when you step into your office, you're not just clocking in to make money, but you're part of a bigger design for the flourishing of humanity. Being made in the image of God to rule and reign means you don't just teach or serve or plan or lead or send emails, but whatever you do at your job, You do those things ultimately to the better end of creating the greatest place for human flourishing here on planet Earth. That's the divine great purpose that you have and you were made specifically with great care for your your personality and uh, the ways that God has given you gifts and talents and abilities. You were made with great care for a great purpose by a great God. And so if we believe that we have been made in this image, we believe that God has truly done these things, it has to impact the way that we live because we have this great purpose and we have this great care in us. And uh, as we kind of end our time, I just invite you to come back the next couple of weeks to find out more about what that purpose and what that responsibility looks like. So, uh, I'm gonna pray for us and we'll talk about how we can respond to this message specifically. So God, thank you so much for the opportunity to share this. I do pray as we walk through uh, this series together and just the idea of being made in your image that we would see ourselves in a different light. Uh, God, if there is any kind of a difficulty in seeing ourselves in this image, I, I, I know that at least for myself, and I would imagine for at least some, if not all in this room, that sometimes it's hard to believe that we are this divine creation, that you still see us this way. Like, hasn't our sin tainted us in some way? Hasn't it changed our viewpoint? Aren't we kind of a, a broken image at this point? Have we, like, maybe some graffiti on our, our portrait, our image that we've been covered up somehow? or that we have chosen to cover up the glory, the, the ways that we're supposed to represent you in this world. Hasn't, haven't we ruined it? I would just beg you to speak to us this morning that that is not the case. That God, you initially created us for good. That you saw the creation of human beings made in your image and your likeness. That you chose to put them in the garden and in the midst of all of your creation to give them this divine responsibility. That you took great care in knitting them together. That you've given us passions and purpose. You've created us for beautiful things. And when we look in the mirror, we should see ourselves as the image of God and not broken, needy, pieces that have just failed, but that we're loved and that we're seen with grace and mercy and affection. And we maintain this role of representing you in this world. God, would you just, I pray that you would just speak that over us this morning. We love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mission City Church podcast. Mission City Church is a non-denominational church in Mission, Kansas. We meet on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Merriam Community Center off Slater Street between Johnson Drive and Shawnee Mission Parkway. We also have five community groups that meet throughout the KC Metro. If you live in the Kansas City area and would like more information, please visit our website at missioncitykc.com or send me an email at jake at missioncitykc.com.